if you'd like to look with us, we're still in the fourth chapter of Romans and uh, getting down towards the end of the chapter and really in some beautiful Scripture that you could spend a long time in. Um, I, I don't feel like we need to do that, so uh, I, I'm not going to move quickly. I don't want to do it injustice, but to move along so that we stay in context and keep all these things together. So in this fourth chapter, uh, the writer, and I, I'm bad to say Paul, and if I do say that, realize that Paul did write it. The Holy Ghost did inspire it. This is not the thoughts of Paul, of a man. You may go to the store and buy a book that's the thoughts of a man, but we believe and are convinced this is the inspired Word of God written by the Holy Ghost. So really... God says this. And God is proving to man that Abraham and the circumcision did not receive salvation through their bloodline, through their works, through the circumcision of their flesh, but they received the salvation of the Lord Jesus the same way that you and I receive salvation through faith which cometh by grace. And we're getting down towards the end of this and he's looking specifically at Abraham's faith. So we, we said last time as we began looking through this, the effects of faith in a life. And not, not faith as the world defines it, but faith once again. And you know, I realize we repeat things, but Paul said to say it again, for me is not grievous and for you it is safe. It'd be good to establish these things in our heart, I believe. But the Bible's definition of faith, faith that brings salvation, and I, that's the faith that every man and woman wants. We want to have faith to the salvation of the soul. Well, that faith is delivered to us by grace from God. And that faith, more than a belief, the devils believe and tremble, but it's that that God establishes in our heart, that moral conviction, that convincing of God in our heart of the work of Christ that produces a change in our life. So Abraham believed. He did believe God. He believed God enough that when God spoke, he come out of his home country. The faith that God delivered to him by the Word of God changed the course of Abraham's life. Now a lot of people, they say they have faith today, but there's no changing of the course of life. That's not Bible faith. That's something that man's defined. That the truth, man's made that up. Man thinks that his belief is acceptable and the Word of God is 1,000% contrary that believing is acceptable and that's enough to be saved. This is a work of God. This is delivered by God. Abraham had something that was beyond the natural man. And I believe we'll see that here. So verse 18 we looked at last time. Let's read there. Who against hope believed in hope that he might become the father of many nations according to that which was spoken, so shall thy seed be. So Abraham against hope believed in hope. So against there was nothing that Abraham could look at outwardly and have any hope in having a son. 
There was absolutely no possibility of this ever happening outwardly and in the flesh. And yet Abraham believed that Sarah was going to have a son through him only because God said that was going to be the case. Now how can a man believe something like that? Listen to the next verse. And being not weak in faith, that word means feeble, being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body, now dead, when he was about a hundred years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. So his body was dead. He was unable to produce children. He was beyond that time. And Sarah, and I realize we talked about this last time, but let's establish these things again. Sarah, who was barren through her 20s and 30s and 40s, she was unable during the fruitful times of life to have a child. And now she's 90 years old. Not only does she have a barren womb, but she's beyond the age that the womb could bring forth even in a healthy and fertile woman. So the chance then, look at the situation, how is this man and this woman going to have a child? There is no way for this to happen. And if you're looking for something to hope in, or looking for something to grasp to, realize that Abraham has nothing. There's no chance of Sarah having a child. There's no chance of him having a son. There's no hope whatsoever. But Abraham considered not. That word means to observe fully. He was not looking at the outward circumstance. Abraham was not looking at the situation that was in the flesh. A lot of times there is a great discouragement to the hearts of the church when they get focused on the outward circumstance and the devil says it's impossible. That can never happen. And in the flesh, that's very well true. In the flesh, it was impossible for Abraham and Sarah to have a child. In the flesh, it was impossible for you to be convinced of sin and born again. In the flesh, it's impossible for these things to occur. But is that cause to disbelieve what God would say? Abraham didn't consider the outward circumstance. And he wasn't weak in faith. And he considered not. So this work of God in Abraham's life was sufficient to cause him to disbelieve what he saw in order to believe God. And now you want to talk and you hear this. You've heard this a lot in the last little while. Yeah, I mean, we believe God, but God gave us common sense to know things. Well, I want you to know that Abraham's faith defied common sense. And if you were a man now, living in this day that Abraham was alive, and here's a 99-year-old man and a 90-year-old woman that's been barren her whole life and you've known them. You've been friends with Abraham and Sarah. You've known that they've wanted children. 
And Abraham says, yeah, we're, we're going to have a son. God said, we're going to have a son. Now, what would you say when you walked out of her living room? He's a nut. He's crazy. He's lost his mind. There's no way that that can happen. It defies common sense. When the world says you can't believe God, that goes against common sense. I say that's foolish talking. That's man focusing on the outward and not seeking God, the God that controls the outward. The God that can produce something from nothing. Man can produce a lot of amazing things. Lots of very technical and well-engineered equipment that what man can do is pretty mind-blowing. What man can build is mind-blowing. But you know what he does? He uses something to make it. He uses material. God makes stuff out of nothing. So, when you think, well, I've got common sense and common sense says we shouldn't do this. Well, remember the God you've got too. He's a God that defies common sense. Abraham believed God and though he may have looked loony to the world. And I tell you, there was a time that gathering in church looked loony to a world that was scared slapped to death of dying. But we serve the God that holds our lives in His hands. You're putting your life and your family at risk to do that. That's what the world said. Our God defies common sense. His power is greater than logic. And He's trustworthy. Abraham considered not the outward circumstance, but he believed what God said. He staggered not, verse 20, at the promise of God. Staggered. To separate thoroughly, to withdraw, or to oppose. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief. That word means faithlessness or disbelief. But was strong in faith, giving glory to God. So Abraham staggered not. He considered not. In 2 Kings, here the prophet Elisha and his servant is with him. And prophets weren't popular people and they never have been. But the enemy was coming. They were coming to kill him. Elisha was the man that they were after. They had a great army and they had the city surrounded and the servant was fearful. And he said, this is the end of us. As he looked on what was going on outwardly, he said, we're not going to make it out. They've got us surrounded. There's no way of escape. Was that true? To the flesh, that was the truth. They could not get away by their own power according to the flesh. But listen to this. This is 2 Kings 6 verse 17. And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray thee, open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire round about Elisha. Now Elisha was not afraid because he knew the God 
that he was serving. And he knew God was not going to let him be taken right here. And what does he pray? God, let him see it. Let his eyes be open to what you have here. Man's not going to defy God's power. Man will not overrun God. I don't care how obvious it looks in the flesh or how logical it is. Well, there's no way this is going to happen. Remember where you were when God drew you out of sin. A place of impossibility. So Abraham staggered not at the promise. Now I think here, you and I, knowing the whole story, some may say, well wait a minute, what about Ishmael? There is Ishmael. Ishmael was produced, if you remember, Sarah brought her handmaid, the Egyptian, Hagar, to Abraham and said, look, this I'm not able to have children. This ain't going to work. But what about Hagar? You could have a son through her and he could be the heir. Now, Abraham, according to the book now, if we're going to believe what the Bible says, Abraham never doubted God's promise. He staggered not in unbelief at any time. So then, how, what would you say about Ishmael? What was that then? It wasn't unbelief or disbelief of God. No, i tell you what it was. He was going to help God out. God never said take Hagar. God didn't instruct him to do that. God said Sarah. But Abraham thought, you know, this, this is probably what God wants. This is probably his answer. You know, you, you hear, I've heard that as well. We've got no direction of God. God's not told me that I ought to do this. But, you know, I think this is probably what God wants. Well, you know what that's going to wind up with? You're going to help God out. You're going to decide what God wants and you're going to decide what God's will is and you're going to produce an Ishmael. Trouble. You're going to produce an enemy to the promise of God. You're going to produce an enemy to the work of God. You're going to produce something that's opposed to God in every way. Abraham, he didn't stagger in unbelief, but he was going to help God out and God does not need my help. God didn't need, even need Abraham and Sarah to come together for her to be pregnant. God made Mary pregnant. God can produce, by the word of Jesus, children of Abraham out of these stones. God don't need man's help. But Abraham, I believe, and you know like Paul, when Paul was deceived, he thought he was serving God but he was persecuting the church and he said ignorantly in unbelief. That was his words. Well, he's going to go in and lay with Hagar ignorantly, thinking that this is the way God is going to produce his promise. But you know who's going to get the glory for Ishmael? Abraham and Sarah. That was Sarah's idea. Abraham said, you know, you're probably right. And so, Ishmael's produced. And look what they've got to glory in. Look at, look at our lives. Look, look at what I've done, myself, of myself, 
without the direction of God and look what I've got to glory in. What I've done myself has produced me more trouble and a mess. What I've done myself without God's direction has harmed me spiritually and been a hindrance to me just like Ishmael was. God promised Abraham a son. And Abraham said, I'm going to help out God. Let's be careful. You don't need to help God out. You see somebody with conviction? You see somebody weeping? I'm going to help God out. I'm going to help draw them. I can say this and I believe it will help draw them. You just keep your mouth shut. Don't help God out. Now if God gives you something to say, and we're, we're, we're dividing a fine line right here. If God gives you something to say, well and good. But God's not going to give you something with this in mind. That'll get so and so to move. No, you know what God's looking for? When God gives me something to say, it'll be exactly what Anthony read this morning. It'll be glory to Him. It won't be, why don't you just give it up and come on. No, God, God don't need our help. God needs us to be obedient to Him. God will get the work done. God will get the work done. When it looks impossible, some of my favorite scripture, and air the light in the temple went out. You looked at Eli, and you looked at those wicked sons, and you looked at the lamp in the temple getting dimmer and dimmer, naturally and spiritually, I believe, and darkness was about to come inside the holy place. Boy, there's no hope of that. But you know, God, God made a young lady barren and caused her to beg Him for a son and got her to the place. Now, God brought all this to be. God brought her to the place that she would beg for a son and say, God, if you'll just give me one, I'll give him back to you. God got her there. So that when this time come, and right before the light went out in the temple, there'd be a young man there that God could say, Samuel, I need a man. God will accomplish His work. The church just ought to be obedient and followers of Him. Trusting the Lord Jesus in all things. Abraham staggered not. So in Second Chronicles, this is very familiar scripture and really quite, it's spectacular scripture, really. In Second Chronicles chapter 20, we read about a king and Jehoshaphat's leading the children of Israel to battle. They're going to go to war. He needs the Lord's help because there's a great enemy and really, by the natural eye, they don't stand a chance. When ever did Israel, through the Old Testament, could you look with a natural eye and say they, they've got the upper hand here? But over and over and over again, it's Gideon in 300 against a field full that looks like grasshoppers. There's so many of them. It's a little boy, 17, 16-year-old boy named David going out against a 10-foot tall giant with a shield that weighs 10 of David. 
Over and over again, it's an impossible situation and it makes no carnal, logical sense. <clears throat> well, here, now he's fearful. He's going to pray to God for direction. And he said, hearken. Now here's God's answer. Hearken, ye all Judah, and ye inhabitants of Jerusalem, and thou, King Jehoshaphat. Thus saith the Lord unto you, Be not afraid, nor dismayed, by reason of this great multitude. For the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow go ye down against them. Behold, they come up by the cliff of Ziz, and ye shall find them in, at the end of the brook before the wilderness of Jeurel. Ye shall not need to fight in this battle. Set yourselves, stand ye still, and see the salvation of the Lord with you, O Judah and Jerusalem. Fear not, nor be dismayed, for tomorrow go out against them, for the Lord will be with you. And Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground, and all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. That was good news, wasn't it? That was a, a wonderful answer from the Lord. You're not even going to fight. Just go down there and I'm going to take care of them. That's a wonderful answer. That gives hope. That gives encouragement. That gives strength to the hearers. And it says, let's go and let's go to battle and let's go fight. Now that's the way man would take that. And that's the way the prophets of Baal would stir up the people. And that's the way in Eli's day that bringing the Ark of the Covenant down stirred up the people. But this is more than stirring up the flesh. This is the true promise of God that you're not going to have to fight. So what does Jehoshaphat do? We all know what he does. We've heard it before. Even if we've forgotten, when I say it, we'll remember. Jehoshaphat goes to battle, just like the Lord directs, but he puts the singers and the musicians in the very front. Now he was so sure that they weren't going to have to fight that he put the musicians in the lead to praise God as they marched to battle. He knew they weren't going to have to fight. A defying logic and common sense, Jehoshaphat believed God. Did God do what he said? They never shot an arrow. They didn't have to draw a sword. They just did what God said and God took care of the enemy. The battle's not yours, but God's. So Ishmael was unbelief. Not a lack of faith on Abraham's part, but Ishmael was helping God out. God obviously needs no help. And so... Strong in faith, giving glory to God. So, what brings God glory? It's just exactly what we just said. You're friends with Abraham and Sarah. You've known them their whole life. You go over for a visit. Abraham's 99 and she's 90. And Abraham says she's going to have a child real soon. She's going to get pregnant because God said so. And that man turns and leaves 
And he says, boy, God's going to have to do something because that's impossible. God's going to get the glory for this. God's not leaving His glory. I believe it's in Isaiah that the Lord says, I will not give my glory to another. God's going to get the glory. So though they may have thought Abraham to be mad, when this comes to pass, Abraham don't have any glory. You know, if I said, and this is, this is hypothetical, and I don't mean to be silly, don't take it as silly, but if I said we're going to try to have another child, and she wound up pregnant, that'd be our doing. Even though God is working in that to allow it, but that would be our doing and to our glory. But now here, Abraham and Sarah's got, they've got nothing they can do for this. They've got no glory. So by Abraham trusting God, God's getting the honor and the glory. In 1 Corinthians, I believe we can see this. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, again this is familiar as well. Verse 25, Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For you see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. So God's, God's chose this, by the way. If you still wrestle with sovereignty and election, God chose for this to be the way it was. And God chose to take the weak. What better way to confound a strong man, and you talk about confounding, a man that can bench 400 pounds, and he goes to the stand to arm wrestle, and this is a picture, and here comes an 80 pound nerd and he slams his arm down in an arm wrestling match that would be confounding to you and to me to see that wouldn't it well see that's that's what God does because we know the nerd couldn't beat him so there had to be something else going on you know maybe that sounds silly but my gosh what do you think it looked like David going out to Goliath. Six cubits in a span. He was almost ten feet tall. And a mighty man. He wasn't no big fat slob. And he wasn't no skinny man. But he was a man that was a warrior. And it would have been something to see. And here's a little boy. Still in puberty. Still developing. Can't grow facial hair yet. And he's going out to fight this man. My God, he's going to wipe the earth with him. He don't stand a chance. The man carrying Goliath's shield is bigger than David. See, nobody else is getting any glory here. God chose to take the littlest one in the camp and he wasn't even in the army. He come to bring some cheese for his brothers and check on them. He wasn't even a warrior. And God took him and defeated the champion of the enemy. And God gets the glory. David carries that man's head into Jerusalem to the glory of the power of God. Confounding the mighty 
with the weak things of this world. I believe David, to cut off Goliath's head, he had to take that sword. I'd like to see him picking up the sword of that great man. But he did it. And he took his head off and God's name was exalted before the enemy and before Israel by the weakest one in the camp. I don't know that he was the weakest, but I say he was at the bottom of the list. And so, God chose for that to be the case, as He says in verse 29, that no flesh should glory in His presence. God's not given that glory to another. David, David's going to be glory because of the victory that he won. But the glory from David... And when everybody else thinks about it, the glory goes to the God that brought that work to pass. And so verse 21, back in Romans, and being fully persuaded that He which had promised, He was able also to perform. Fully persuaded to carry out fully, completely assured or convinced. Abraham was not convinced in himself. He wasn't convinced in some miracle drug that the doctors had. He wasn't convinced in a witch doctor to bring about this work. He wasn't convinced in his body nor in Sarah's body, but he was convinced that the one that promised... I think we ought to realize who's doing the promise in here. Who's the one that's give the promise? This is God Almighty that promised. The all-powerful all powerful God that's promised this to Abraham. And Abraham is completely convinced and assured that God's able to bring about what he said he was able to bring about. But it looks so impossible. Things are getting so bad. Things are getting worse. And, and could Abraham not have said that? Every day, that went by, the older they got and the more impossible that it became. But God, the God that promised, is trustworthy in all things. He was fully persuaded that He which had promised was able also to perform. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, you talk about a God that is worthy to be trusted. For the which cause I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed. We're going to look at that word a little later. I am not ashamed. For I know whom I have believed. And I am persuaded that He is able to keep that which I have committed unto Him against that day. So Paul the apostle, he's in prison here and they're about to take off his head. And in the flesh now, it looks like a terrible time for Paul. But Paul says he's got no faith in himself. No faith in his ability. No faith in who he's been. But he knows the God that he's believed in. And he knows that this God is able to do no matter what the outward situation looks like. What God promises, He is able to perform. That's elementary. We, we all know that in a sense. But when we look outwardly, we don't believe that. 
A lot of times, the outward discourages us from believing the promise of this God that holds all things in His hand. Paul said, I know whom I have believed. Jeremiah says in Jeremiah 32, there's nothing too hard for thee. God told Jeremiah to go buy a field, the potter's field. So he went and bought it. God said, Babylon's coming, they're going to be right there. And they carried Jeremiah down in Egypt. Now Egypt was a mighty country. They didn't think Babylon would get them there. And if they come, they didn't think they'd overrun Pharaoh and the Egyptians. Jeremiah buried three rocks and said, right here. Nebuchadnezzar will put his throne right here, down in Egypt. And the Word of God came to pass. And Jeremiah seen it come to pass. And he said, there's nothing too hard for thee. You can do as you see fit. Certainly God can do as He sees fit. No matter the outward circumstance. In Luke chapter 1, you got Mary here. And the promise is that she that has never known a man is going to bring forth a son. And the angel says, for with God nothing shall be impossible. So how, how is that possible? Is it possible? Is it possible for Mary, having never known a man, to bring forth a child? Not naturally, it's impossible. But with God, nothing shall be impossible. In Esther chapter 1. Maybe, maybe this here is a little harder to see, but I believe we can see it. This is just a natural picture. The king, Ahasuerus, who is a king over 127 provinces, he's going to have a feast. And the feast is to show his glory, his power, and his authority. And he's going to call all of his princes together at the palace, and they're going to have this great feast. He's going to show them all that he's got. And listen to these words. Esther chapter 1 verse 4. When he shewed the riches of his glorious kingdom, the honor of his excellent majesty many days, even a hundred and fourscore days, a hundred and eighty days, the king is showing his glory, his kingdom, and his majesty to these princes. But he's not finished. When these days were expired, the king made a feast unto all the people that were present in Shushan the palace, both unto great and small, seven days in the court of the garden of the king's palace, where were white and green and blue hangings, fastened with cords of fine linen and purple to silver rings and pillars of marble. The beds were of gold and silver upon a pavement of red and blue and white and black marble, and they gave them drink in vessels of gold, the vessels being diverse one from another, and royal wine in abundance according to the state of the king. So listen to what this man had. For 180 days he showed his kingdom, 
His land, His provinces. What about God's land? What if we took 180 days and looked at God's kingdom? His is to the ends of the world. I'm talking naturally speaking. But you come right on down and He's going to show the the glory and the beauty and the riches that He's got. And just we'll focus on this one thing and then we'll go on. They gave them drink and vessels of gold. I don't know how many people were here. But he had vessels of gold for each person to drink, every one diverse from another. So this great number of people, they all had a gold cup and no two cups were the same. You know, what? What the way they manufacture today, they got a mold and everyone looks exactly the same. This king, he had them all hand done and they were all different one from another. Now you think about how God's got man today. There's probably 70 people here. Every one of us, different from the other. But you know, you, you go on out to the whole world. There are seven and a half billion people on the face of the world. And everyone has their own DNA. And everyone has their own fingerprints. Now you talk about a God. If having a thousand gold cups, each one different from another, is awe-inspiring. What about a God that's give life to seven and a half billion people at one time and they're every one different one from another? Amazing, isn't it? Well, that's the God that Abraham believed in. It's not so foolish when we put God in His proper place and we recognize His authority and power and ability that He has. It's not foolish to trust God. The world says you're a fool to trust God. You're going to kill yourself. You're going to die. Why, preacher, if they catch that, they'll die. I've heard, I've heard that a bunch. Let me tell you a little secret. Ain't nobody going to die except God directs them to die. And when God directs them to die, they're dying no matter what. Is that not the Word of God? I think we can believe Him. I believe we can. I believe He's trustworthy in all things. He's, he's proven that. So, being fully persuaded, would God that I was fully persuaded in all things. Fully persuaded, and you know, again, you talk about faith being delivered by grace. How did this man get so convinced of this? God spoke to him. Just like you said about Noah last week, God spoke, and friends, no man speaks like this man. And when God speaks, He convinces a person that what He says is true. So the next verse. And therefore... It was imputed to him for righteousness. So if it couldn't be any clearer, then Abraham believed God to this extent. And remember, Abraham believed God to this extent because God convinced him into believing it. I still, 
There's too much self-glory in our world, in our church world today. Too much reserved for what I've done or that I've believed it and I come and nobody else would come. Or I obeyed and I moved and nobody else would move. Well, if you truly did come in obedience and you truly are saved and nobody else did, it's because God chose to come to you out of everybody else. God did that. Give the glory to God. Don't keep it for yourself. That will not prosper. But give the glory to God that He convinced you. Because if He didn't, you'd be like the rest of them too. The glory redounds to God. And therefore it was imputed to take an inventory, to estimate, same word through this whole chapter. Maybe there was a question about what being imputed means. So if I've got a bank account and I have wrote a check for more than what's in my account and the bank cashes it and they put me in the red, now my account is below zero. I owe the bank money for what I've wrote. I'm in the red. And somebody, we'll say dad, who's got the money... He comes and says, look, my son's account's in the red. I've got what he needs. Let me take from my account and pay off what he owes you and we'll put $20 in there so that he's got something in there. And money from his account would be imputed into my bank account. Now I'm not in the red. Now I've got a little bit of money in there. Well, that's what the word imputed means. Abraham had a bank account that was empty of righteousness. And God is eternally righteous and thrice holy. And because Abraham believed God, God said, I'm going to take my righteousness, I'm going to take my holiness, I'm going to take my honor, I'm going to take my power, and I'm going to transfer that onto Abraham's account. So that God did it. The righteousness. Abraham had righteousness. Abraham was, by the word of God, and in God's eyes, Abraham was a righteous man. You know why? Because God gave it to him. I'm out of the red. Because dad gave me the money. Gave the bank the money. Well the church is righteous because God gave them the righteousness. And through Christ was the only way that that was possible. And we're out of time. And I really hate that because we're right on the edge. Now it was not written for His sake alone that it was imputed. God didn't write that down to tell me about how Abraham got righteous and that's it. People like to take the book as well that's a historical account. Well, And it is. It is. I, I believe it to be as sure and I tell you the way that the way the lunacy that our country's in our history books are full of things that man has twisted 
to say what they want to say and to represent what they want to represent politically, socially, however you want to look at it. They're twisting the truth. I believe we've got a historical account here. That's good, that's sound, that's sure. But know this, it wasn't just written that God imputed to Abraham righteousness because of his faith for his sake. It's not written there so that I can know it and say, well, that's how Abraham was righteous. But it was written for ours also. That is a picture. And friends, that's what this book is. When Paul says that it's all profitable for doctrine and for instruction and for reproof, and when Peter says there is no private interpretation, but it was written by holy men as they were moved upon by the Holy Ghost, what they're saying is this book was not written to give me an account of God's works in the past, but that imputation to Abraham, that applies to me as well. I can see how Abraham believed and God gave him righteousness. Well, guess what? When I believe the same way that Abraham did, I get righteousness the same way. God wrote it down for me to know and understand how I stand before God. There is. That's this. And I, I don't say this to say it lightly. This is the most amazing, wonderful, astounding books that there is on the face of the earth or that ever has been. This is the most astounding book to study and to learn and to understand just a portion of it. It's astounding. God gave Abraham righteousness and God didn't waste one word in that book. There's not one chapter put in for filler. I may have to write a 25-page paper and I'm going to try to put in a few paragraphs of junk in the middle as filler to give me the length that I need. God wasn't looking for a page limit when He wrote the book. God didn't put any filler material in there. If it's in there, it's for me and it's for me today. Abraham's faith and righteousness, it applies directly to me right now and how I receive faith and righteousness. God works the same. It's, it's a shame the messages that man has twisted out of the Bible with false doctrines and with lies. God dealt with Abraham the way He deals with us. And thank God He wrote it. You know, I have an easy time seeing it for Abraham. Well, it's the same for me too. I'm going to believe God when He comes by with His Word and speaks to me individually. And I'll obtain righteousness not because I keep it, but because God gives it to me. That's all that's on our heart. Anything